Welcome to the TEH, the Tech Enthusiast Hour podcast, where a bunch of friends talk about what they find interesting in tech this week. The show notes for this episode are at tehpodcast.com slash teh68. This week, we have all four regular hosts. I'm Randy Cassingham, founder of thisistrue.com, the oldest entertainment feature on the internet. Subscriptions are free. And the meme site, randysrandom.com. I'm Kevin Savitz, and I, I just want to point out that we had to stop a super interesting conversation that we were having prior to the podcast so that we would record the podcast. So. Yeah, so let's try to, try to go back and do that one again. And we'll have- <laughs> we should just like, just we connect and we just should just start talking and forget the, I don't know, uh, <laughs> the, the actual having the podcast is getting so, in the so way. So who are you again? I'm Kevin Savitz. Go, Leo. <laughs> Oh, there we go. <laughs> I'm Leo Notenboom, lover of coffee, corgis, and computers. Not always in that order. I, too, have a free newsletter. I just renamed it Confident Computing from Ask Leo because I'm also going to be focusing a little bit more on explicitly helping folks have more confidence dealing with technology. Rebranding. Interesting. Did you say, did you say confident or competent? Confident. Confident computing. Mm. Nice. I'm Gary Rosenzweig, and I do uh, MacMost.com, where I, too, have a free newsletter and free stuff and all that. Uh, so you can go to MacMost.com, and I do games, and I do WordPress stuff also. So, And actually, just going right into uh, what we did this week, um, actually for the last several weeks, because we've, we've missed a couple of weeks here, um, I've been really, I wouldn't say refocusing, I, in additionally focusing on uh, YouTube again. Um, because I have always posted my MacMost videos to YouTube, and um, but did not consider myself a YouTuber. <laughs> I was just uh, happened to use YouTube to post, you know, my video, um, and then I was kind of brought aware of the fact that I actually do quite well on YouTube um, for somebody not paying attention to it. So I decided to start focusing on it and you won't notice anything different at MacMost because there isn't anything different at MacMost but just I'm starting to do I don't know more put more thought to the videos more you know equipment <laughs> into the videos microphones cameras and such and you know the YouTube videos have the little things like the end screens and the cards and the uh, you know tags and all sorts of stuff that uh, you're supposed to do and also I even re-enabled comments on YouTube which I had turned off. Well, that's a vast wasteland. So, well, actually, so far it has been fine. I know Challenge they have accepted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. They, you know, years ago when I stopped, uh, it was it was horrible. I mean, there was just so much spam, first of all, and then there was a lot of abusive comments, things like that. They put a lot of controls into place, especially for the spam, um, and it has not been that bad uh, since I started. There really have not had to deal with too much. Cool. For the comments, and so anyway, yeah. So it's been fun oh. getting into the YouTube world. I will take issue with at least one thing you said that nothing on yeah. Mac Most had changed. Oh. Um, when I visit Mac Most, it actually the, the initial view feels very different, and I know absolutely nothing has changed except all the videos you have listed now have a different title card. Yeah, I did uh, change the title card to make it more attractive. Um, you know, when you see it on YouTube, but it, it was due for a change anyway. The, sure. the format I was using, a lot of people complained that the text was too small and, uh, you know, there were several different things about it. So that kind of happened at the same time. I was like, well, let me make it nice, nice looking for YouTube and nice looking for the site at the same time. And then videos themselves have a lot more, like I, I face the camera in different ways and I'm using a different microphone and all that. And that, that of course you see on the website, but I think those are all positive improvements. I didn't do anything that I thought would negatively impact my site in some other way. Everything had to be like good for YouTube and good for MacMost right. or I wouldn't do it. Yeah. Cool. Kevin, what have you been up to? You're always up to really cool stuff. I have been uh, busy. Um, let's see. Since last time we talked, I did that thing that I talked about last time where I went down to San Francisco to uh, interview uh, Steve Moretzky, uh, who was one of the, the game programmers at uh, Infocom. He made uh, text adventure games. Um, and that was a great time. And the interview is now online uh, on YouTube. And uh, there'll be a link to that in, in the show notes. Um, if you want to hear me and see me uh, talk to Moretsky. Uh, that was an incredible day. I flew down, uh, got a tour of GitHub, 
which was really neat. Um, was paid for my time there in t-shirts. Um, so <laughs> I have a collection of <laughs> GitHub t-shirts now. Um, uh, it was a, just a great office and an incredible workspace. And then uh, did the interview. And then there was a kind of an after party. And uh, we hung out at the the hipster bar, which is basically built into GitHub's lobby. And uh, I talked to people who like uh, text adventure games and, and Moretzky and uh, hung out. And then I flew home that day. So it was a whirlwind tour. And uh, it was a whole lot of fun. Uh, and then I uh, went to um, uh, New Jersey and I saw, I went to the uh, Vintage Computer Festival East, which is uh, a show about, you know, show for people who like old computers. Uh, this is the, this year is the 40th anniversary of the release of my favorite computer, the Atari 800. So uh, they're, the Atari folks there put together a huge uh, display um, that had to be 80 feet long, just various people showing off uh, their their Atari computers and, and uh, workstations and, and that sort of thing. And uh, so I got to hang out with with all the, the, the Atari nerds and uh, um, one, one of my buddies there who was one of the guys who helped create the, the computer, his name's uh, Joe DeCure, he was there and he gave a, a great keynote. And uh, so that was... Uh, just a very, very nerdy weekend. And then while, while I was in the neck of the woods, um, I was in New York and I saw Be More Chill. I saw a bunch of Broadway plays, uh, musicals, because that's what I like to do. But one of them relevant to this podcast, uh, it's called Be More Chill. And uh, it's tech related in that it's about a, a, uh, a, a teenager, you know, kid in high school who's not popular and not cool. And he puts a chip into his brain that tells him what to do so that uh, with the goal of him being being more cool and and uh, popular, and uh, spoiler, it doesn't work out real good. That's like an episode of Black Mirror. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but you know, it's a musical, so it's all very, uh, very a, a musical Black yes. Mirror. Yes. <laughs> oh, I'd watch the heck out of that. But yeah, yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, it's been a very uh, geeky uh, couple of weeks, and uh, had a good time, and. So everyone should uh, go to the Vintage Computer Festival and uh, see Be More Chill. How many people were uh, attended the festival, do you think? Mm. Uh, I don't know. Uh, How many were in the room for the keynote? Yeah, I mean, 400? Okay. 500? That's 400. Yeah. Yeah. It was was a good crowd. Yeah. And the the first day, uh, the first keynote was, I guess technically the second day, uh, was uh, one of the guys who created... uh, the Unix operating system, um, uh, whose name I don't have on the top of my head right now, but uh, that was also people were, you know, I, I think people are crazy for Atari, but I mean, people are crazy for Unix. Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So, uh, and he, he, that was uh, super well attended and uh, people love that. So that one, that, that video is online too. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Gosh, it's really been three full weeks since we did this, isn't it? I mean, we skipped two episodes, so yeah. we've got three three weeks worth of time. Uh, you know, I've been working, I've been following in Gary's lead. I've been starting on my first online course and on OneDrive, all about OneDrive is the name. Uh, and I've been putting together, you know, I finally got my outline together. I've got the first, I think, six lessons recorded. Uh, so at some point that will all show up on Udemy. Uh, like I said, I'm following in Gary's footsteps. Uh, but one thing I am doing differently, uh, my patrons of a certain level that have access to the, uh, the Ask Leo video library are getting access to these videos as they're released. So that's kind of fun. And learning a lot about, I'm actually learning a lot about OneDrive. As they always say, the, the best way to learn something is to teach it. And uh, that's what's happening here. The other thing I've been doing for a while, and this one, gosh, I guess I'm following in Randy's footsteps. Uh, I stumbled across an article about um, website speed, specifically about WordPress themes and which ones were the fastest. And I was curious because Ask Leo as a site uh, has its own custom modified WordPress theme. And it just feels clunky these days. It just feels a little on the slow side. So I've been converting uh, a lot of what the Ask Leo theme does that I care about into uh, a, uh, 
basically basing it all off of Generate Press, which I know, Randy, is what you've been using for. Uh, yeah, I, I think, think all of my WordPress sites are using it now. Are using it now? Yeah, yeah. You were using one that I think was, uh, what was it? Some One of the shopping carts recommended, and then they stopped supporting it and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, yeah, I, so Generate Press, and I've, you know, I'm doing the right thing. I've got a child theme, which has my local Ask Leo specific modifications. Anyway, I've got that running on newsletter.askleo.com and uh, biz.askleo.com, and I'm really happy with the way it's turning out. Uh, it's a little too much to take live, like today. I've got a newsletter coming out tomorrow morning, so that's that's the wrong day to make major changes to the site. But I'll probably end up switching things over this weekend. So, And how are you benchmarking the speed improvements? Well, uh, for the most part, I am simply, you know, doing a before and after with one or the other uh, speed tests. Uh, the, for, the, for the sites that I've already converted, I'm not benchmarking the speed because they're quote unquote fast enough. The, uh, from, for there, it's more of a maintenance issue because the, um, the custom theme that I've been running on Ask Leo was developed by somebody then modified in mass by somebody else and they didn't have the same emotional investment that I do in it. So their work wasn't necessarily as I'll just say clean as I would have wanted it. Whereas the modifications that I'm doing now are significantly more maintainable and easier for me to grok if I'm making changes to it in the future. So there it's just been practicing and getting things clean and running, uh, but I'm hoping to do some uh, some before and after tests here with uh, with uh, the with the real AskLeo.com site uh, probably next weekend. But fun stuff, definitely geeky. Yep. So how about you, Randy? Well, the reason I wasn't here the last couple of weeks was I was out of the country and uh, was in the Republic of Ireland, Northern Ireland, and Scotland. Had a good time. Was gone for little over two weeks, including travel time, and uh, got back this weekend. And then the next day, I was hit with, with a cold. So if my voice sounds a little funny, that's why. It's, it gets a little thin this time of day anyway. And uh, and actually, it sounds a little lower than usual. But uh, I do get uh, weird voice things. But I had a good time. It was very interesting. And uh, one of the things just to tie in with the show is the tech I used. So before I left, I, you know, I looked into, can I use my cell phone over there? And I used Verizon. And the answer was, of course you can for 10 bucks a day. Hmm. And it's really unclear how much data I get and how fast it'll be. and things that like one I, At least the data I can tell you, because uh, this is what I did in Holland the past couple of times I was there. They're short enough that it just made sense. Um, yeah. It's against your existing data plan. It's the oh, same okay. AT and T does the same thing. Ten bucks a day. Yeah, yeah. So and certainly so, in Holland, which is like one of the best connected countries, speeds were just not an issue. And I'm assuming the same would be true for most of the places you were at. And and my data plan is actually kind of small because I don't use it a lot when I'm home. But um, I did some research and found that I could buy a Vodafone chip from Amazon or SIM card, I guess I should say. Uh, for $8 and activate it before I leave. And the amount of money I had to pay was really appealing. Instead of $10 a day, it was one pound a day. It's about $1.30. And for that, you get unlimited text, unlimited talk, and quote-unquote un unlimited uh, data. Uh, you get uh, 4G high-speed data, you get half a gig per day for that one pound. And, uh, and that's one pound max. If you hardly use the phone, you'll you know, pay, pay less. And it actually saved me a couple of times because uh, when I was in the way northern of Scotland, in Inverness, their speeds were pretty slow up there. And uh, in the particular in that I was in, it was really slow. And in the evening when people got back to their rooms, it just dropped to a crawl. 
and here I am trying to publish a newsletter. So mm-hmm. I just text newsletter. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> so I bypassed the uh, hotel by just tethering to my phone and was able to do things. And it was nice to be able to, to call or text my wife when we got separated because I got it for her too. And, you know, we, we just charged up with 15 pounds and I still have a pound 50 left on my account. Vodafone's kind of an interesting pro and con in tech. They do everything they can to not talk to you on the phone. So they you know, use all the voice recognition things and try to route you into automated services. I get it but I could not charge my phone. Uh, I couldn't log in. The first time I was able to log in to my Vodafone account was today, long after I got back. Um, but on the, you know, on the flip side, there's no charge for roaming all over Europe. So right. I landed in, uh, in London and just called the, you know, the automated number, typed in my credit card number, Got 15 pounds of credit. We're good for the two weeks. And uh, it, it just worked no matter where we were in, in different countries. And it, that was pretty neat. And it was nice to see that you can get some really good quality cell service for a lot cheaper than we pay. And, you know, right. Right. You say, well, you know, Europe is a lot smaller. Well, you know, the whole of Europe is pretty darn big. And you get roaming in all of those countries. So I was thinking about that. I, I vaguely remember roaming used to be a problem over there. And, and uh, here for that matter. And I think that uh, the European Union had a role to play in making that go away. What that leads me to wonder is if Brexit is going to cause a problem for folks uh, crossing the, the UK slash rest of Europe border. As far as cell phones, I don't right. think so um, because we're already being able to, to roam into right. different countries. And what, what does it matter where the UK is, is you know, politically? I, I don't think that's going to be an issue. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But it's funny because my, my cousin is actually, uh, by the time this airs, actually, by the time, well, actually, no, as it airs overnight, the, she is. She and her husband are traveling from the Netherlands to Canada, and they did pretty much the exact same thing you just described in reverse. They uh, have purchased a SIM card over there, had it delivered, and uh, have it charged up with whatever. And the intent is that that gives them connectivity while they're on the road. One of the things I was curious about was how prevalent Wi-Fi. Uh, open Wi-Fi hotspots were as you were traveling around. Because one of the things I've noticed here in my travels is one of the reasons I don't use as much data as I'm prepared to use is that there's Wi-Fi everywhere. I just wasn't sure if that was the same case for you or not. I didn't actually look a lot. Um, Obviously, the hotels had it and the trains had it too, which I was impressed with. You know, just totally free and you could log in and, and use it. Uh, a bus I was on had it, and that was all really neat. But other than that, I pretty much just used my data plan since you know I'm getting a half of a gig per day, and I didn't think I was going to get anywhere near that, and I never okay. exceeded. So I I just used that instead. Right, right, cool. Hey, so Randy, did you uh, rent a car while you were in either Ireland or Scotland? We did not. Oh, uh, okay. It's, it's a challenge driving there. Not only do oh, they sure. drive on the left, but <laughs> the streets are really narrow. Right? Oh, yeah. Well, really so pay attention. And I was really impressed with the drivers. They were very good and very patient. They would stop and let you turn around in the middle of the street, things like that. Yeah, I, uh, when I was there in 2017 to both um, Ireland and Scotland, uh, rented a car in both places. And yeah, there's the left side of the road thing. Uh, but And then super narrow street sometimes just incredible and and i'm amazed too when i you know being back here having driven there and in england as well and in australia and new zealand and other places where they don't have as wide of roads as we're used to in the united states um 
driving around my neighborhood, I'm just amazed sometimes. I'll be going down a street that compared to Europe seems super wide, right? It's just super wide. And you're going down one way and cars come in the other way and they will pull over to let you buy. And I'm like, why, why are you doing that? <laughs> if, this was, if this was in the UK, this street would be narrower than this and you'd be flying by me the, at full speed. You know, but it's just, uh, it's just a different way of doing it. And also the other thing I noticed driving there is almost no traffic lights. It's all roundabouts or other creative types of intersections that keep the traffic moving in some way. And I think we left uh, in a car in Ed Edinburgh and we drove all up around the north and ended up driving back to the airport at Glasgow. And we, I think after leaving Edinburgh, we never saw a traffic light the entire time. Because after a while, I started thinking, we haven't seen a traffic light in a while. We've been through all these villages and stuff. So we started paying attention and we never saw one. Even going through fairly nice sized towns, you know, small little cities, we think, okay, let's look out for the traffic lights. Nope. We just went right through the town. There was a bunch of big roundabouts. We went through and never saw a traffic light. And they certainly use roundabouts a lot more than oh, we yeah. do, although we're using them more here in Colorado. Yeah. But I definitely saw traffic lights, especially in Edinburgh. Yeah, in Edinburgh they, they were. And I imagine Glasgow, but I didn't get a chance to actually go into the city. I was just at the airport. Um, one of the things I appreciated from the European drivers is that they know how to use a roundabout. Since yes. round, roundabouts are relatively new still here, and by relatively new, I mean we've only had them for like a decade. There are people who still can't figure them out. And it's Let's so talk about that now. Sidebar, how do you use a roundabout? <laughs> You yield on entry. When you are entering a roundabout, you yield to the people who are already in the roundabout. Once you are in the roundabout, you have the right of way. Don't stop. That's So here's the other one. Yeah. Yield does not mean stop if there's no traffic coming. If the roundabout is empty, you do not have to stop. Exactly. So. And the hard, the hard part, the people that have trouble with is double lane roundabouts Yep. in the United States, you know, and, and, Almost always, there are markings telling you exactly what lane does, each lane does for each turn. But a lot of people don't look at those or whatever, and then they're, they, you know, I don't know. I've always just learned in Colorado here to just ex assume that anybody can do anything because they may. <laughs> the, person in the, in the, will. the person to the left of you may actually try to cut right in front of you to go straight even though they're not supposed to. The person in the right that's supposed to turn may actually merge to the left because they didn't mean to turn there um, just all the time. And, and I do take issue with one thing. In the United States, for the most part, we have not had to deal with roundabouts, except I grew up in Philadelphia. And Philadelphia has several roundabouts, some big ones, and New Jersey was filled with them, except they called them traffic circles. The term roundabout wasn't used. And actually, there are fewer than now. When I was growing up, traffic circles were big in New Jersey. And some of them were really big, like, you know, the ones they have in London that are just massive roundabouts. They had those in New Jersey. They've replaced a lot of them with on-ramps and off-ramps and overpasses and things. Mm -hmm. But there were some, uh, especially if you're going to go from Philadelphia down to the Jersey Shore, several points, uh, main points used to be when I was growing up these massive roundabouts, usually with a diner off to the side where you can go inside, order food, and watch people almost get into accidents while going around <laughs> the traffic circle. Dinner and a show. Yeah. So, so it was interesting. Moving out to Colorado when they hardly had any roundabouts here, and then they started adding them, I, of course, was like, great. That's fantastic. And other people were like, why do you use these? I'm like, well, I grew up near New Jersey, so I know. I'll, t I'll show you. <laughs> so anyway. All right, have we beaten that one to death? Yeah, except that Scotland and Ireland are awesome. Yeah. yeah it's such great uh, scenery, people, uh, everything. It's just uh, I can't wait till the next time I get a chance to go. My, my biggest surprise is I didn't have trouble understanding just about anybody. I thought the accents would be much thicker, and uh, they weren't. I mean, occasionally somebody would have to you know, slow down a little bit, but for the most part, very easy to understand, and the food was good, and people were kind and patient and, my, and helpful. 
One experience with the accent was exactly the opposite of yours. Uh, years ago, gosh, this would be 20 years ago now, Microsoft sent me to London to do some interviewing. And we had one candidate come in from Scotland, and none of us, we could barely, barely understand him. His, his accent was that thick. So I'm very glad to hear that, that it may not be that way if you actually go there to visit. Right, and I, th I think probably the influence of American television is helping kind of even things out a little bit, kind of sadly. Uh, they definitely watch a lot of American TV. You know, there was, somebody was was sad that some version of uh, CSI had, had wrapped and, and there weren't going to be any more episodes. Like, really, you watch that crap? <laughs> But um, it's better I, than we were watching in Holland. We were watching uh, reality TV. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, my wife was was with me and she just wanted, you know, an English speaking channel on because so she could hear English. Right. Uh, and it happened to be, you know, I don't know if it was like Bridezilla's or some random thing on. on. This is what we're exporting. Right. This is the <laughs> kind of stuff that, that represents our country overseas. And it's kind of scary. Well, at least they think we have very competent police. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> well, and, and but they probably think that our murder rate is sky high, right? Because every night there's at least three serial murders, you know, that detectives have to track down on television. I, I've often thought if you took all the detective shows on television and how many criminals are actually uh, going after doing these complex crimes, murders and stuff – that like, how does that compare to actual crime statistics? Right. And that, that's the whole thing here that, that everybody's screaming about, you know, terrible, violent crime in the United States. And if you look at the actual statistics, it's much less now than it was five, 10, 15 and 20 years ago. But people are more and more afraid instead of being more and more relaxed about it. That's because there's like eight versions of CSI. On <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and you know, the, it, it bleeds, it leads news <laughs> stories you know, that I'm going to tell you about all the terrible things that happened today. Well, I, I have to think that like real murders that detective, police detectives actually go after, that most of them are really easy to solve. Yeah. You know, like, oh, we got the guy on camera leaving the, you know, it's done. Open shot case. Deal gone bad. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, and it's not like this complex, like, oh, it was at the country club and the uncle stands to inherit this money, but the partner in the business is, blah, blah, you know, and it's all this. It's like, how oh, could this happen? Let me write this down. This is good yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's all formula, <laughs> right? But it's like, okay, you get, you get a show that's on for eight seasons, 22 episodes a season, and every single episode is some sort of complex murder where there are several suspects. And, and then the formula, of course, is it's always or it's usually the first person they interview is some person that is like, oh, I, I didn't even know him that well. Uh, yeah, we, uh, I, I can't really tell you much. And he seems perfectly normal. And then the last five minutes, they say it was him. And they go back and turns out he was lying. It's like, how are these people such good actors in real life? Right. In real life, they would probably be sweating bullets being interviewed by police after, right after they killed somebody. <laughs> so anyway. I actually do like to watch detective shows, but not CSIs. Never watched any of those. So, so Barry, so, yeah, you had a, an interesting question that I thought was was well interesting. Well, yeah. So this is actually something going on here in Colorado, that but it's also going on all over the country. Um, and the thing is, can politicians block somebody? on social media. And here's what I mean. You have a politician, say a local state representative, and he has a Facebook page, say, and somebody says something they don't like, can they then block them? If it was you or me, right? And we had a page for our business or, or whatever it was, we could block somebody that you know we didn't like. Um, but a politician, when they do that, is their social media considered a public forum and if so, by blocking somebody, are you infringing on their freedom of speech rights and perhaps other rights as well as you may, as a public official, be disseminating information over that channel and now you've blocked them and they can't see it. Um, it's perfectly uh, natural to block somebody, especially if somebody's kind of abusive or whatever, but uh, it might not be legal for politicians 
to do that for their official channels. There's, um, there are a few cases here in Colorado, and most of them have disappointingly been settled. So somebody sues or whatever, and then there's a settlement, and they get paid some money, and no, nothing is decided. You know, we, don't, we still don't know if it's legal or not. So there is one case that the ACLU here in Colorado is trying to press to go to court, to federal court, uh, so there could be an actual ruling on it. Yeah, it's kind of clever because they're not asking for any money. They're just asking for a ruling. So it's difficult to settle that. Exactly. So, uh, and, and, you know, on the one hand, like that particular case, I don't think there was any abuse of anything. It was just somebody posted an article that they wrote that was that was critical of the guy. Critical of the of the guy. So the guy was like, "Well, this is my Facebook page, my my public Facebook page, not like his personal one. This is like his representative, so and so Facebook official Facebook page." Blocked that person, and that person like, "No, you can't do that. You're a public official. This is a public forum. I have something to say. You can't silence me." Um, and uh, you know that. The implications go on both ways. You know, on the one hand, you don't want public officials having these official forums where they could silence people they don't agree with. And on the other hand, you don't want to have, you know, go to one of these public forums and find that there's a bunch of abusive people there and there's nothing that could be done, right? Because you could just turn a place toxic really easily. There's a bunch of uh, newspaper and TV publications in my area, and I'm sure everybody's area, that used to have comments enabled on news stories. And the comment sections were so toxic from basically people with usually with pretty extreme views that there was nothing of value in them. And if you did have something of value to say, you'd look at the comment form and say, oh, uh, never mind. (laughs) I don't want to get involved with whatever's going on here. Um, So they just removed comments on a lot of these sites. And I could see the same thing kind of happening you know, for, uh, you know, public officials, if they are forced to just not block anybody for any reason. What do you guys think? My gut is that just because you have the freedom of speech to talk doesn't mean I'm obligated to listen to you. So um, blocking you seems like a a reasonable, first of all, my, my, and my other thing is uh, if, you know, if, if I block you on Twitter, say, you know it and you can't, talk to me. However, if I mute you, I just don't hear your, your, yeah. your, your, your BS and, and you don't even know it. You can keep talking to me all day. So first of all, I mean, I think there's a technical solution where if you were a little savvy, you could just shut up the, the people you don't want to hear. I think part of it though, is that what they're saying is visible to others as well mm. in your forum. Mm. And you know, if you make that go away, whether they get notified or not, they'll at least be able to tell that, Hey, my posts aren't showing up here. Mm-hmm. Well, and also, so if you are pro issue A as a representative, oh, I'm pro issue A. Yeah, well, aren't we all? I'm against it. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, for Randy, apparently. So you're you're pro issue A, and that's you as a candidate when you were running pro issue A. Now, as a as a representative, you're like, I am going to fight for your rights to do issue A or whatever it is. Uh, and then somebody is just posting every day to your you know your public page for you articles and information and all sorts of stuff, uh, maybe even lies, right? Um, against issue A, uh, you know, at some point you're like, I'm providing this forum for everybody. And I don't know. It's interesting. So there's a couple of things. One, we talk about these as first amendment rights. Remember the first amendment starts with Congress shall make no law. Hmm. So there is no law being made here by Congress or any other assembly which implies that the First Amendment itself does not apply. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, that's not to say that there may or may not be a free speech issue, but people keep mischaracterizing the First Amendment in places where it isn't. You know, I'm sure we've all had people uh, complain about a comment of theirs getting deleted from our site and saying, no, First Amendment, First Amendment. No, nope, doesn't apply. Not, I didn't make a law. <laughs> this is my turf. And the other, I think the, uh, the real telling thing will be how they end up defining what it means to be a public forum and are there rules specifically for participation in such a forum? Because once again, there have to be ways to kick people off. There just have to be. It's, it can be too abusive, too toxic to use that, to use the word. Uh, you know, if, if it's a Facebook page, for example, Facebook ultimately has the right to kick off whoever they want. 
whether you know they're participating in your forum or not. Twitter has that same right, although they don't use it as much as I'd like to see them use it. Uh, so, I mean, is it a public forum? Well, kind of, but it's also kind of like, I, I likened it to sending out a, um, um, a newsletter, a physically mailed newsletter. That's what you're doing when you're posting on your wall or when you're posting on Twitter. You're sending something out to people that have signed up for it, that have subscribed or whatever. And they can reply. You can, there's nothing preventing you from completely ignoring mail, physical mail from a specific person without ever opening it. I'm not sure that this is any different. Well, yeah. I, I have to dispute you a little bit about the First Amendment. When a politician does something in his official role that limits your ability to interact with him. That is a first amendment violation. And how do I know? Because when Trump was blocking people on Twitter, seven of them sued and a federal judge in 2018 said, yes, this is unconstitutional based on the first amendment. Is that going to Supreme court? Do you know? I wouldn't be surprised because Trump actually did appeal. He um, he did unblock those seven people, but there's probably you know hundreds or thousands of other people that are in that. So if it, I mean, if if we don't have a ruling from the Supreme Court, um, I'm going to disagree with your disagreement, and that okay. being that it has not been decided whether or not it's unconstitutional. Um, a judge has an opinion, and that's great, but the final word hasn't been stated. Like I said. To me, I'm obviously I'm not a constitutional law expert by any stretch, but the fact that it says Congress shall make no law implies that there is law that that a law has to be made in order for the first First Amendment to uh, a, a law that restricts your ability to say something uh, that has to come into play before the First Amendment really does. Well, so, and there there is case law that has been decided up to the Supreme Court that expands all this all these ideas. Um, and I am not an expert on, on what things have, have right. become canon in, in the law because of that, but it's more than Congress passing a law. Oh, yeah, and, and I'm certain well, the word Congress itself is uh, vague enough, right? It could mean, you know, any law, body, any uh, um, law enacting body, so state legislatures, local governments, whatever, but shall make no law seems pretty clear. But like I said. So there's another, another issue here, which is the difference between Twitter and Facebook, because one of the interesting things about Facebook is you know, if you create a Facebook page or group and you're discussing things in that page or group and you ban somebody from it, you block them, they can no longer participate in that discussion. Twitter is kind of interesting because I can mute somebody on Twitter, like you said, or I could uh, block them so I don't see them or they can't read my stuff unless they're logged out. Then they can read my public stuff. But there's no way to stop somebody from posting a reply to you publicly on Twitter. So they could like at state rep, you know, and say, I disagree with you um, and post that to their Twitter feed, because that's what you're doing. right? And then that is part of the public conversation about that. That's different than Facebook. You, I could do that on Facebook, and only my friends would see that if, but, I'm, if I'm blocked. So, I mean, this kind of maps really well to the website scenario where you and I and others have had people complain that we're restricting their freedom of speech by deleting a comment on one of our sites. They have every right to say what they want to say, Mm-hmm. On their own site. On their own site, which is kind of the Twitter. It's kind of the Twitter approach, right? You, yeah. You have every right to say what you want in your own Twitter feed. And and that is kind of what Twitter is. Everybody's only saying things on their own Twitter feed, um, which is so that makes Twitter different. Just because it's linking, because you're saying this is in response to this person, is the only way that that links across. And then you could actually see the conversation because of the way you phrase things. But Facebook is different. Facebook is actually, you, you could say that there's a property owned, in quotes, you know, owned by the, the person, the representative, and then you are not allowed to post there anymore. Whereas Twitter, can't, you can't really do that. I mean, you can block them in a way, but you still can post anything you want 
to Twitter, right? and unless Twitter bans you, right? You know, which is certainly ha- you know happening to a lot of people for you know violating their terms of service. So I don't know. It's a, so it's a little different. So I don't know if if it went to the Supreme Court, the uh, the Trump Twitter case, whether or not that would be something that would decide how things work on Facebook. You know, because it's there's a fundamental difference. Interesting. So, yeah, we need to have more Supreme Court justices that are uh, tech uh, savvy. That's not going to happen. That's for sure. Yeah, for a while. Yep. All right, Leo. Ah, so speaking of politics, (laughs) (laughs) um, Microsoft is going to ship a Linux kernel in a version in, a, in an upcoming version of windows which i find absolutely fascinating it's one of those hell frozen over kind of moments uh, now to be clear you can install today a linux subsystem on your windows 10 machine there are, there's actually several of them available in the windows store the microsoft store and what they end up adding is essentially uh, a linux command line environment so I, for example, have a Debian uh, installed on my, a Debian Linux distribution subsystem installed on my Windows machine. And I can run all sorts of wonderfully geeky uh, Linux commands. I can, and, the, and this runs under Windows. You don't have to boot to it. Correct. It's, okay. it's, like, it's like opening a command prompt, except the command prompt is uh, Bash, right? The, the, the Unix okay. shell, Linux shell. Um, and you can like run the, the neat thing that I was wondering about is, you know, there's especially Debian since it's a base distribution for a lot of other distributions. It has a package management system. Can I install random other packages? And the answer seems to be absolutely yes. I could run APT, which is the package manager um, that, that is available of the command line package manager for Debian. And I installed some network tools and some other things. And I was just happy as a clam running things like, uh, like dig the, the, the tool that I ended up using. That's a, 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 there's a, what is it? Domain information groveler. I think it's called, is, is what it stands for, but it's one way to look up IP addresses and, and what's going on with the domain name system. It's a very powerful tool. There are alternatives for, for windows, but this is the, you know, the canonical one and it just works as it should work in a Linux window. The difference is that the, as I understand it, and I'm doing a little bit of hypothesizing, a little bit of understanding of, of you know, my limited understanding of what this, this new shipping a Linux kernel really means, is that um, these subsystems are just that. They are subsystems. They are emulated Linux environments. So, for example, you don't have a C colon. You have a slash mount slash C that you can go to if you want to, uh, you know, those kinds of things. My understanding is that by including a Linux kernel as part of Windows, Linux development can happen much more natively on Windows, and you'll actually be able to start seeing Windows run Linux applications, which just boggles my mind. It's just, I, I mean, for the longest time, we've been trying to get Windows applications running on Linux, right? That's what Wine is all about, Windows and you know, the Windows uh, emulation environment. But uh, that would run everything very slowly on a Linux distribution. But this new thing is, is actually really exciting for, for, the, uh, for the, the geeks who like to play with Linux. Uh, this is actually a very, very cool thing. And we should see it, I think, uh, starting towards the end of this year, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, depending on how quickly they get their updates out. But I was just tickled by it. I, I, I love this kind of stuff, and I, I'm looking forward to playing with it. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I was uh, amused by Microsoft is bringing back something that was popular in Windows 95 that I used to use, and that's yes. Power Tools. So I was wondering for the Power Tool, I don't even remember which Power Tools I cared about back in Windows 95 days. I'm wondering how many Tweak of them still UI was the one I used a lot. Right. And I think that that one, I'm hoping they'll do that because I get requests for that all the time. How can I change the size of a men- the menu bar? How do I change this font in this place? And that's what Tweak UI was all about, right? I, it's been so long that <laughs> I, I don't remember it real well, but I remember using it a lot. It's only been uh, 24 years. Yeah, I know. It's been a while. 
So yeah, I'm looking forward to those showing up as well, I think. And what's neat about it, uh, the article that I was reading, which might be the one that you linked to here on our show notes, is that um, the source code for all of this is going to be on GitHub. So they're yeah, actually making it open source, which I find also very fascinating. And I think uh, something that will contribute both to the kinds of things that will show up in the tools and the resulting quality thereof. Cool. All right. Well, I guess we've beaten that to death in uh, two <laughs> minutes. So I think Gary has a more meaty topic. <laughs> well, yeah. So we talk, you know, tech enthusiast hour. We talk about tech like mobile phones, computers, the internet, cars, rocket ships, and of course, meat. <laughs> meat technology. It's actually a big thing now and uh, a lot of money in it. Um, I believe there's two of us here that do not eat meat. Mm -hmm. uh, we eat meat alternatives occasionally. Um, and I'm one of those two. The, uh, and there are companies like Impossible, the Impossible Burger, and Beyond, um, and a whole bunch of others. And they're actually having tons of money pouring into them right now. People are investing like crazy uh, in these companies, and they're making headway. Uh, for instance, the Impossible Burger, which I believe we've all had a taste of because we had one when we were together. And one, it's actually one. quite good. Uh, yeah, and that... Have you uh, tried it, Randy? Yeah. Yeah. I have yet to try it. I mean, I'm I'm definitely one of the carnivores in in the crew here. Yeah. And, and I, we had that one opportunity. I don't know if you remember, Gary. It was like a year ago. We were both yeah. in Denver, I think, and we you you tried it for the first time. Yep. And no, oh, it was Houston. That's right. Yeah, Houston. And yeah. I just passed on it because it sounded like you know. Oh, sure. Yeah. Right. Whatever. Now I'm kind of I'm kind of sorry that I didn't try it because it's gotten such rave. You can find them everywhere now. Yeah, because so now yeah. now you've got, well, first of all, like there's a chain. I don't know how prevalent it is in your areas, but Qdoba, right, right. which is, you know, uh, Mexican-style fast food. They just uh, introduced it as a uh, one of the meats that you can get. There's a little um, little chain called Burger King. Yes, Burger King. I don't know King. if they have them in your area. <laughs> no, that, that has overwhelmed the Impossible Company or whatever. Yeah, that's what I was understanding is keep up with the orders yeah exactly that there's a there's an actual fake meat shortage <laughs> yeah well because burger king i think it's st louis now i heard that it, the you get it in st louis and they're going to be expanding as as impossible can ramp up their production um there are other places as well i think white castle for a while now has had uh, impossible burgers um and just the number of like single burger places around me and after I first discovered it, it was like, oh, there's one place in Denver I can get it. And then it started to be like, you know, four and then eight and then 12. And then all of a sudden Qdoba has them and then it'll be Burger King soon. And then Beyond, um, which is a, a, another uh, a competitor there, they, they've been in Carl's Jr. I think for a while and now are in Del Taco. Um, <laughs> I think it's interesting, like the Del Taco and Qdoba stuff, you're talking about a food where meat is a actually a very small part of it. Like go to Qdoba, get like a burrito. It's got tons of ingredients in it. And the meat is small part, whereas like in a hamburger, it's actually a major part of it. Um, and I think a meat substitute works particularly well when it's not the major thing, when it's not the full hamburger. You know, it's just just the meat you have in you know, with the rice and the beans and the and the guacamole and the cheese and all that. Uh, I tried the one at Qdoba. And I, I think it would be hard to tell the difference simply because the, you know, the, you're talking about maybe five or 10% of the thing you're eating is actually the meat, whether it's beef or beyond meat. Um, whereas, you know, the, the hamburger, uh, it's going to be besides the bread, pretty much most of what you're eating. Um, it's interesting. Uh, a lot of other companies too. There's, uh, I think the list is at least a dozen companies out there. Um, in stores too, I've tried uh, several brands. Gardein is one I like um, that they carry in a, a, a supermarket near me. All sorts of uh, different ones, and I've had things like you know chicken unchicken nuggets or mm -hmm. you know not chicken nuggets, and you eat them and it's hard you know horrible. Um, I just had one brand <laughs> that was that was pretty horrible, but like the Gardein ones, I got those and I made them and I was like, uh, okay, these taste like chicken. You know, the Gardein are, are great. I, um, yeah. There's another one, or I can't think of the name. Um, but yeah, I think the, if you're going for like a beef substitute analog right yeah. now, Impossible Burger is the gold standard. 
Right, because they're actually using he plant heme, and heme is the part of meat that makes meat taste like meat, and they have been extracting uh, plant heme from soy, which was never in a food before, which, which is all their science. They had to actually say, can we use this part of soy in food? Um, and when they put it, you know, got all their science behind it, it, you know, one of the, my problems with it and why it's not my favorite is you're actually, it, to me, it's so close to meat that, you know, I've kind of lost the taste for it. Wait, wait, you told me, you told me, I, I know, think it's I, not your favorite because you over overdosed on them. Yeah, I over, well, I did. I, there, there was a, so there was like, a, I don't like it very much because you ate one every what? day for like four weeks. No, no, it wasn't quite <laughs> that. It was, I was eating, there's a, there's a place called Brothers Barbecue near me that has uh, Impossible Burgers and I was going there say, you know, twice a month to enjoy it. And then a hamburger place my family loves to go to that I would just get the salad at suddenly had a monthly special where there was a possible burger. And I was like, oh, great. So they're like, oh, good. So we can come here more often now. So we ended up going there like five times that month. And then I went to other places too. And after a while, I was, I was like, okay, this is tasting too much like beef now. And I'm not into it anymore. But, um, but I've had it since. It's, it's uh I still enjoy it. But, you know, it is interesting from a tech standpoint because not only is it uh, a choice that some people make not to eat meat for various different reasons, but, you know, the dealing with food production on a, you know, world scale, 7 billion people and the environmental impact of food and the production costs of food and all of that uh, coming up with these substitutes does provide an opportunity um, for sustainability, you know, having, being able to have people have uh, good diets in places where you might not be able to have tons of land for cattle or, um, you know, reduce the environmental impact of uh, massive amounts of meat production uh, by having other, you know, types of proteins that people could eat. So anyway, it's just, it's just really interesting. And it definitely is a huge uh, technology sector right now creating artificial meat. Uh, I think that the ultimate goal is somebody's probably going to figure a way to grow artificial meat. <laughs> um, these None of these companies are doing that. That's still science fiction mostly and experimentation. These are all plant-based things, um, whereas somebody one day is going to be able to maybe grow actual meat. I think that's already happening. I well, yeah, experimentally. Sure, sure. But not still, not but not. Yeah, you know, it's an incredibly expensive hamburger. Yeah, yep. yeah, exactly. Where and where some of this stuff is not really expensive at all, and you know it really varies. Some of this stuff is just it's like here are the here are the plant products in there, and that's it. And some of it, and then the other end is like Impossible, where they're saying we're taking this special ingredient, so it actually tastes like meat. It's got iron content or whatever it is. You know, Impossible burgers actually bleed, right? You know, you actually. Uh, can yeah, you get the juice out red, red juice um, whereas the other you know if you're eating something I think is it yellow lentils or something that one of them is made out of uh, as the primary ingredient and that's you're, you're basically just eating plants but maybe also satisfying a little bit uh, you know the desire for meat or or also just when you don't eat meat it is sometimes hard to find enough uh, protein and other things um, in your diet so it d- does the Impossible Burger have the protein of meat? I believe so. That's cool. I believe I'm going to have to go find me one. Oh, it's yeah. e- it's easy now. I'm sure there's something out here. Two years ago, oh yeah, and you can go to all these sites. I was actually because I was curious. I know you go to Impossible's uh, Impossible Food site. They have a list of all their, you know, like you can bring up a map and it'll show you where you can get it. And I was curious with Beyond um, since they just got a whole bunch of money too for for expanding their operations they had a map as well and i was able to see all the places in my area where i could get beyond burgers and beyond meat of various kinds and then of course all these are in supermarkets including impossible now which i haven't seen in the supermarket yet but supposedly they just started um you know having their products available so you can make them at home i just need somebody to make a good veggie hot dog i've not found that yet so yeah, with emphasis on the good. Yeah, exactly. I found I found healthy ones. I found ones that are like interesting, they're really spicy or whatever. But I want something that tastes like I'm at the ballpark and I'm enjoying like so, a ballpark hot dog. 
I just, for the hell of it, went to the Impossible site. Yeah. And son of a gun, my favorite burger joint in Woodenville. There you go. So. There you go. Of course, if it's a if it's a just a one place burger burger place, sometimes I find their information to be a bit inaccurate. Like they will list some places if they've made it a special, like a monthly special or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Um, and like that place I went to, that it's a monthly special. I think that's still on the list, but you can't get it there now. Um, they just maybe had a deal where it was like, hey, we'll give you a month's worth of these for a discount. Interesting. Yeah, no, this is a small, it's a small local chain, but it is, it is small in that sense. Well, the, the, that that barbecue joint I was talking about, I mean, that's, I mean, I think that's expanded now. I think it started in Denver. I don't know. I might be completely wrong about that, but that really took me as like, oh, they don't really have it. There's no way they don't really have it. And sure enough, walked in and said, they're in the menu, impossible burger. I was like, oh, okay. And it was also like almost half the price at the expensive downtown cool hip burger joint that I had gone to before. Um, so yeah, prices vary. All right. So what are we uh, doing for next week? Gary, you had something. Well, yeah, I was, uh, we were talking before the show. Uh, I go to this monthly thing that, um, it's, uh, you know, they're, they're WordPress meetups everywhere, right? All over the world. And there are a whole bunch of them in Denver. And one I go to is uh, basically a get-together of uh, mostly people that have WordPress sites that are having trouble and a few people that come to help out. Um, and it's held at the, uh, the Denver Public Library. It's like once a month. It's on uh, meetup.com. Of course, uh, there's the actual WordPress meetup groups have all sorts of things from expert level down to like this and the most basic. So anyway, I go to that every month, and we're talking about how that's kind of interesting because you get to see the problems people are having with their websites and uh and and let me tell you the number one problem or you know most of the problems i see are people that have hired somebody to build their website or help them with their website and that person has abandoned them i see that every month so many people that you know it's like i don't know uh, i don't know anything about my website well it's your website how can you not know i hired this guy to build it for me and now he won't return my emails or he's gone or whatever. <laughs> and it's just incredible. It's, it's amazing how often that happens. I've, yeah. I've had um, at least two scenarios where developers do custom websites and then they disappear. Just yeah. disappear. I, I don't know what it is, why that is so yep. common. Um, I mean, I know it sucks to work client work. You know, you're, you're doing all this work and clients very rarely know how to tell you what it is they want and it can be frustrating and all that. Yeah, but they know um, whatever it is but, you did isn't it, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's not what, don't do what I told you to do. Do what I meant yes, for you to yes. do. You know, it's like, how am I supposed to know? Um, but yeah, I, thankfully I have not done client work for more than a decade now for various things I used to do before. And, so now you're uh, doing it for free. Well, yeah, but you know, hey, free help is a whole different story, right? Because I could I could listen to a person's problems and say, yeah, I can't help you. Or just say, what you need to do is go to ask somebody this or whatever. And then, you know, I wash my hands of it. It's free. You need and to if go I, ask somebody who cares. Oops. Yeah. And if I get to help them, which is pretty often, then it's awesome. Then yeah. it's like, uh, you know, ooh, I got to help somebody. A lot of times I get to learn something that I wouldn't normally learn. Like uh, uh, just as an example, somebody had Instagram posts on their front page uh, because they knew how to use Instagram and they wanted pictures on their front page. And all they wanted was just the last three photos they took on Instagram to be on their front page. And then they could just take Instagram photos of their products and their site updated. And I thought, oh, that's a really interesting way to do it. And there's, you know, these tools and there's plugins and there's all this stuff. And I never in a million years would have even looked into using Instagram with WordPress if it hadn't been for that interaction. So, so I learned stuff too. It's funny. I had the Flickr had that same, um, same technology <laughs> available. There's a, a plugin for it. Uh, but for whatever reason, it wasn't working. I had it on one of my personal sites, just, you know, the last picture I took on Flickr. Yeah, it makes sense, especially if somebody's used to a tool, uh, then it can make a huge difference. Instead of a website then dying after not being updated for five years, right. you have a website that is updated daily because the person just loves Instagram and will update things. And hopefully they don't accidentally take a risque picture. Yeah. Well, usually, I mean, it, 
Yeah. I mean, they're, they're already using Instagram as a major way that they promote their business. Right. So they're already very aware that everything they post is getting liked and followed and all of that. So it's just one extra place that it appears. Cool. What else are you, what are you guys doing this week? I'm just doing more of more of what I was talking about earlier, continuing the course and uh, working on my own WordPress theme. Nothing particularly interesting. I'm still uh, making new printables and new websites, and uh, I have an inbox full of ideas that I need to work on. Well, I'm going to be on travel again, so I won't be here for the show next week. Where are you going this time? This time I'm going to what sounds like a very interesting workshop on public speaking. Okay. I am going to give a talk in July, so good timing on that. Nice. Does sound interesting. Looks like a wrap, guys. Yep. <clears throat> All right. Well, the show notes for this week are at tehpodcast.com slash teh68. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at the teh podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again here next week. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.